0: Welcome back to the Preacher Voice podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on today's show.
2: Of course, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Excited to talk with you. And I appreciate you uh, humbling yourself to come on my show. Uh, you've already spoken with Josh Harris, which is which is a pretty recognizable name and probably a source for many people's own religious trauma. But but uh, yeah, I'm really excited to hear a little bit more about your story. Take me back really to your introduction to independent fundamental Baptist kind of world. Like how did you end up in that bucket?
2: Yes. So my parents, they both went to college at Hiles Anderson which is a big, it was a big fundamentalist college in the eighties and nineties. It's they, I'm sure I think they're just struggling to survive today, but yeah, back in the eighties, they were a big deal. And my parents met there and my dad was studying pastoral ministry or something in that respect. And my mom was studying English. My mom became a Christian school teacher. And after Being in that environment for a few years, she was like, I do not want my children to be in this environment. I want to homeschool my children the rest of my life. And so that's what my parents decided. And it took my parents like six to seven years, I think, to have children. So they were worried that they were never going to have kids. So they prayed so hard. And when they were finally had children, they were like, oh my goodness, we're going to try to do our best because God blessed us. So we're going to try our best to raise them in this fundamentalist Christianity. That was their attitude. Yeah. And so
0: what, not to interrupt you so early yeah. on, but was there, were they already in that world pretty heavily or were they first generation? Because oh, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's important because That's there's true. a lot of people who yeah. um, once they have kids, they drive really hard into this world because they want structure for their yes. kids. And sometimes I think first-generation parents who are well-intentioned yeah. end up putting themselves in sticky situations.
2: Yes. So yeah, they grew up in it from birth. That's all they knew. And yes, that is an important context. And so they decided, my, my parents decided to homeschool me our whole lives. I usually, in the interviews I've been in, I usually try to keep places and people's names secretive, but in this video um, or recording, I decided that in a kind of constructive way, specifically name people and who I feel like need to be called out, honestly. And like just and also the church I grew up in, in which it might ring a bell for you, but I grew up gospelite baptist church in walkertown north carolina brother bobby robertson he died a few years ago but he pastored that for 60 plus years so that was the church that i was brought up in and when i talked in other interviews about it like i thought it was normal the life like i look back at my childhood and I see the brainwashing because I remember I had neighbors who were Methodist, and I thought they were evil because they were Methodists <laughs> right. and I, know I yeah <laughs> and I talked about that in Josh's show how I was a very dogmatic little child like at eight and ten, I had been indoctrinated to share the gospels so or the Bible with people and gospelite it was a kJV only church yeah like. My parents have very strong beliefs that like the King James Version Bible, was the only true word of God and any other version was not legit. Mm -hmm. And I usually don't share this story, but I decided because it really made an impact on me as a child. But I remember someone who clearly did not know my mother, they gave her an ESV Bible Mm. and she looked at it and she was like, I really want to throw this in the trash can. Like, (laughs) 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 and so I was like, are you like and but she was like but something feels wrong about doing that still even though I don't believe this is the true word of God she's like I can't do that
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so she had that moment of cognitive dissonance I think in her mind because she had always clung to the KGB only but she couldn't follow that through with throwing away this ESV bible in the trash yeah. can right. so that was just so I realized how extreme a belief they had and before I say anything else about my parents, which I'm going to reveal a lot more about beliefs, like, I want people to understand that they grew up saturated in this environment. Mm-hmm. They knew yeah. nothing different. And I've tried to have compassion and understanding, and I'm not trying to throw them under the bus or anything. I'm just saying things that happened to me growing up. Yeah, But l- looking back, like, it's it's honestly ridiculous, but they're were times there were certain shows I I was not allowed to watch if a show had an interracial couple I was not allowed to watch that and that's one thing as a child that really stuck out to me these things because even I knew internally that was wrong for them to have that racist view but they said oh I don't know if they have that view anymore because this was like over a decade ago so I realized they're not the same people anymore they're not the oh. same people who were a decade ago, but I think it was, the show was lab rats or something like that. Some Disney show or whatever. And that is remember that as a child, just these certain red flags that kept popping up. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Yeah, And this something was off or realizing how extreme their beliefs were and how they used the Bible to back up these beliefs. Yeah. And, and I remember before going to Bob Jones that my mom was, she had been upset that they had lifted the interracial dating ban in 2000. And so I was like, and I tried to confront her about that. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with two people of different races getting yeah. married and stuff. So I'm like, we're not in the freaking 60s anymore. Oh my God, like please. And so she just stood behind her Bible. And I don't know if she still has that belief anymore, but she's I love my mom so much. And she genuinely is a wonderful person. But things like that really bother me. Right. Uh, it just breaks my heart to how, and I'm sure in the environment she grew up in, she was encouraged to believe that. And it was ingrained right. in her. So my whole life, I was homeschooled. It was like a KTV-only type approach, but I was socialized into my church and I think since I feel like this is a more, you said some Christians follow you too, I want to go more into a little bit of like my salvation story, because that's a really important part of it. And I feel like it was like the beginning of my religious trauma. And I was around eight years old. uh, And this was at a service at Gospel Light Baptist Church. And the preacher was preaching on a very graphic, like a descriptive sermon on hell. Hmm. And here I am eight years old, all these images in my mind about these demons, torturing people for eternity. And you're just burning forever. And as a child, that was so scary to me because I feel like every child has somehow accidentally burned themselves. So like we have that reference of knowing what it's like. And then we think, Oh, if I feel that forever, And I remember that night, I could not get to sleep. I was so scared. And I would have so many nightmares as a child, too, because of sermons like these from my church. And I remember, and for, I don't know, I know there are some non-Christians, so for people like getting saved, it means you like ask Jesus into your heart and to save you uh, from hell. And it's supposed to be a one-time thing and you're saved forever and all this stuff. That's what I was taught growing up. It's the admit, believe, confess type kind of prayer type thing. And I remember that night crying, I couldn't get to sleep. And I asked my mom, I'm like, oh, I'm like I want to get into heaven, blah, blah, blah. And that's when she led me to she helped me um, say the Sinner's prayer or whatever. And I've done that four times since then when I was eight. I've done it f- five times as a total throughout my life, these um, salvation moments. Cause I always had that fear of, what if I didn't mean it? What if my heart wasn't idiot it completely? What if my book is not written, in the, or my name is it written in the book of life? Did I, did I do it out of love or did I? And when I got older, I was like, I realized my faith was crumbling because my the foundation of it was on sand. It was on fear, guilt, and manipulation. I felt so much pressure to conform to fundamentalist Christianity. And because of the environment, like I was surrounded by it. It was suffocating. And even though my parents, they never explicitly said things to me, but things were implicitly implied to their behaviors. But whenever I wouldn't conform, even to their specific beliefs, they would treat me differently. Like I was um, like a black sheep or something or lessened or disappointed, or they would give me this silent treatment. And so as a child, I just started realizing, okay, the more I conform to this, the more validation and love I can get from Mm -hmm. them and that was my way and i think that was happened unconsciously really as a child and and i was talking i'm in therapy now because of religious trauma mm-hmm. and i was talking to my therapist a couple of days ago and he was we were talking about emotional trauma or emotional abuse and i talked to him and i said i remember in my childhood as children we want praise from our parents we need that validation and i told him i was like whenever i would do something good as a child I would go to my parents and be like, oh, I did this good thing. Like, I deserve this or I deserve a piece of candy. And I remember my parents telling me that, no, you deserve to burn in hell forever. And so (laughs) to have your child, this young child, come up to you just wanting validation and you tell them you deserve to burn in hell forever, Mm -hmm. like for a child that is emotionally scarring. And after that happened a few times, I realized I could never say to my parents, I deserve something. And I felt as a child, I had no inherent worth. It was Mm -hmm. only through my actions. And because of that, I felt so much pressure to be perfect 24 seven, because I felt that's what my love was based upon. And so when I didn't meet the standards, I felt like total crap. So it was just like this, these highs and lows. And when you're stuck in this system, it's really hard to look at all the issues and realize what's wrong with it.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Now that I've gotten out of it, And I've been questioning fundamentalist Christianity for probably four to five years. And I remember when I was like, I think I was like 17 years old and I'm 22 now, but at 17, I got a book on how fun, just not fundamentalist Christianity, but fundamentalism in general, how it can be. Toxic and harmful. Like you can be a fundamentalist atheist. You can be a fund like it's a mindset. It's not just inherent to Christianity. You can there are fundamentalist Muslims or whatever of different faiths and different um, worldviews, and really, it's this mindset of basically it's just dogmatic. Like you're right. It's a strict adherence to the law, and specifically, the scary thing is, is there are different interpretations. So people. They're like, this is the right interpretation. You no. better follow this way. And they see it as the absolute truth. And it's what everyone needs. So it's, there's a lot of complexity into the psychological part of that. And I'll try to get into more of that later. But as I began to question it, because I struggled with my mental health. And I was always told, oh, just read your Bible, pray. This is just spiritual warfare. Or Oh, they're not close to Jesus enough. Oh, you no need to get closer and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so I'm like, oh, it's my fault. And so I would do everything the church would tell me to do. And it wasn't working at all. And I had never at that age, I was probably like 14 or 15. I had never stopped to consider that the church's ideologies and messages were the one really harming me because I was always given the impression that religion can do no wrong, which we can look at history and know that's, not true at all. Yeah. And and I had issues too, growing up with my own sexuality, which I talk a lot in Josh's video, because I was always taught a very close-minded, hateful view of LGBTQ people. And for me to experience homosexual urges was a moment of cognitive dissonance for me, because I remember having... A very hateful negative view of gay people. And then experiencing those feelings myself, it was like a moment of cognitive dissonance for me. And I was like, and that's what really made me start to question the church and their approach. Because I was like, okay, so they're not being honest about this issue, or they're just wrong about it. So it made me look more into context Mm -hmm. and bias and how they were interpreting scripture. And for me, like before college education, like critical thinking skills were also highly discouraged in those kinds oh. of environments. And so I had no idea that your, because I was in the environment and this is crazy, but like, I had no idea that there were different ways to interpret the Bible, that people had different views on it. Cause that's all I knew. And I was like, I didn't realize that we all have this, a different lens or a different perspective different glasses i guess you would say we're looking through because of our life experiences and our own biases that we have and so once i started realizing that especially when i got into college i started to not just submit to authority like i was taught like blind submit it, no. don't question like whenever i was spanked as a child they're like oh you disobeyed us and I'm going to spank you because I love you. There wasn't any like more deeper going into it. Like you just disobeyed authority and that's it. And so I never learned logically why I would get punished for things. And so I feel like that really made me like, I had a lot of bad experiences with authority growing up, but I feel like that definitely affected my view of God and what I knew I, as a child, I guess I was around like 16. I was like, there has to be a better approach to Christianity than fundamentalism. Mm. Like, I'm like, if this is the only right way to be a Christian, then I don't want to be a Christian because this is just miserable. It was just constant misery. And I was in a podcast today, day and my therapist too has really helped me process this. And we were talking about social connection and how we're social creatures and we really need this. And I told him, I was like, I was saying to my therapist, I was, I was socialized, like I was in the church in my homeschool group. And he was like, Andrew, he's, it's not just about talking to people, but do you actually, is that love you give and acceptance you give? Is that given back to you? If no one gives love and acceptance back to Mm -hmm. you, you will suffer psychologically, mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so once he really said that, it just totally, all of these repressed things, just emotions that came up. And I realized, you know, there are a lot of reasons why I suffered growing up, internalized homophobia, basically extreme self-hatred, emotional needs weren't met as a child, not being socialized in a diverse environment, and like even issues with my own relationships with my parents and stuff like that. So there was like, it's a complex thing. And when I talked to my friends about it, they're like, they're like, it's not just religious trauma; it's other trauma. And I was like, well, I understand, but I'm like, religion has influenced everything, like everything my parents have done to me. Mm-hmm. So it's an response to that. So I'm like, in a way, it is. And I remember in church just disassociating because I just couldn't handle all the hateful sermons and the screaming, and the yelling, and I I got physically sick every single Sunday, because I hated it so much. It was so miserable. And I couldn't, there were sometimes I let my parents know that. But then again, that just motivated them to shove their religion down my throat more. Oh, something's wrong with me spiritually. I'm supposed to love church. So when I ever had, when I had these issues, I learned to be silent about them because the more push I gave against their approach to crochet, the more they just shove it in my throat and put more, so this just made it worse. So I was like, okay, I'll just suffer in silence for yeah. now because it will just make it worse if I talk to them about it. And so I remember every Sunday, just being nauseous. It was the worst day of the week for me and and part of that did worry me growing up because I was always told oh if you're a Christian you're supposed to love church you're supposed to enjoy yeah. and you supposed that God puts that desire inside of you and you know when I got older I was like you know what I'm like this isn't the only kind of church there is there are so many churches and it didn't offer a place of community or love yeah. for me at all like I never felt that belonging and acceptance and I even talked to my therapist I was like I've always felt out of place everywhere I've been. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I told him like, I've had four depressive episodes throughout my life. And I have almost committed suicide two times throughout my life and all these different things. And really, and what I told him is that I've done a lot of work through my past in dealing with my own religious trauma and how the church traumatized me. And I told him, I'm like, I'm coming to therapy because I want to get all of it out. Yeah. I don't want to forget everything. I need to process this. Because I want to move on with my life. And live it. I know I'm like, I don't, I think religious trauma it will affect me the rest of my life, but
1: mm-hmm.
2: it doesn't have to control me or my well-being. Yeah. It doesn't overpower me. So that's why I trust my therapist. I'm like, I'm just trying to get through this. And I guess I'll go into the issues of fundamentalism. So like legalism is an issue. And from a fundamentalist perspective, legalism is where you believe your works will get you to heaven. Mm-hmm. But that's the extreme. There were definitely gray areas of legalism in my church, and it's where they would add rules to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And God's approval on you seemed, as a child to me, they seemed to be based on what things I did. So I lived in constant anxiety as a child, afraid of everything I did. And I was genuinely afraid that God would kill my family at any second, because the story of Job scared me so much as a child, how
1: this
2: Righteous man and God just completely wrecked his life. And so for me, I thought my parents were so righteous and good people. I'm like, oh, God's out for my parents. He's gonna tell them, or I pray for sin, God's gonna be mad at me. And it was confusing to me because I was taught that God or Jesus died on the cross and they were forgiven. But then they they preach to us every Sunday like we were worthless pieces of shit. And so I was like, are we not in Christ? Are we not forgiven? It doesn't really sound like it because there was still that shame mm-hmm. and guilt. And honestly, just daily. And I talked to my youngest brother and I was like, do you feel traumatized by this? Because I'm like, I have been greatly affected by our upbringing. And he told me, he's Andrew, he's, I never believed any of this crap. He's like, I've been an atheist since I was really young. I don't believe in God and stuff. So I never got, a, he told me, he's like, Andrew, you got emotionally invested. you actually believe this? And you actually cared about this? And that's why it affected you so much yeah. is it because you believed it. And so that was really, I was like, wow, I'm like, you're, I don't think I could go back. and I don't think I would want to go back in time and change that anyways because I think there were times where I felt like the Bible and Christianity was helpful to me, I guess more personally in my devotions, church was not helpful to me, but mm-hmm. I guess my own personal devotions were a time, I guess you would say for me to reflect really, So yeah. So legalism, like when they basically add different rules, and I'm going to talk a little bit about brother Bobby, because first I want to say that he was genuinely a very loving and kind person, mm-hmm. but the admiration that people have for him at our church was almost—it really seemed that like, they seemed like a cult at times. And this occurred to me when I was around sixteen, and it was in church, and someone was praying in the pulpit, and uh, as a church member, and they were praying to God, and they said, they were said, "Dear Jesus, please help us to be more like Brother Bobby." And when he did that, I was like, aren't we supposed to be more like Jesus? Why is he praying to God for him to be like another man? And I looked out and like, did anyone not hear that? And the pastor never acknowledged what he said. And that was a big sign to me. Okay. I'm like, the admiration people have for this man is really excessive. And he was, it was almost as if like Brother Bobby was like on the cross himself beside Jesus or something, or he was right beside him. And i understand why people admired him because to them he was example that oh christianity must be true because this man is so loving and mm. so generally was he cared about everyone it didn't matter who you were and that's what i did love about him he would go and walk up to the balcony and it, it was a big it's a big mm. auditorium and if we saw someone new he would go and introduce himself like he looked for people to love and that's what i did really love about him And but the admiration people had for him, I thought that was extremely depend, like ultra dependent and unhealthy. And my parents, they would do anything he said in the pulpit, even if it wasn't biblical. Like I remember as a child, they called it mixed bathing. Mm -hmm. This Christianity, and it's where children, prepubescent children of opposite genders, swim together. And I wasn't allowed to swim with uh, friends of the opposite gender because it was called mixed bathing and that was a sin and blah, blah. I thought that was stupid. (laughs) It was like, Um, we were children. Like we had no, I guess they were, I don't know. Maybe they were afraid that it would awaken sexual desires or something at like eight or nine or 10 years old or whatever. But I see that a lot in these environments. It's just the sexualization of children way too early, especially with purity culture and I wasn't even allowed to go to the movie theater. Like, I thought that was stupid. So I'm like, they show kids movies there. Like, why does it matter if I go and watch like a G movie for kids? Which I think most of them are PG now, but it doesn't matter. But stuff like that. And so if Brother Bobby said it, don't do this, then we wouldn't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And that that really made me realize, okay, I really look up to this man too much. Yeah, so the legalism. And... I've noticed, like, I've learned the psychology behind legalism is it's called a righteous high. You have all these high standards and there you can look down on people who don't follow them and you can be like, okay, I'm better than them. And I see that. I saw that at Bob Jones, too, with certain leaders who just sought out to just correct people just to make themselves feel better, to get this high of, oh, I'm self-righteous. I'm better than you. No. And in the churches... Fear is used a lot as control. And I told you about my salvation story about hell. Like children are scared into getting saved and committing their life to Jesus before they even know what consent is anyways. Yeah. And one of the memories I remember from like church camp as a child, like gospel, light, we had a church camp in Virginia. And I remember my youth pastor and his wife, they ran the camp. I remember the pressure. That was put on children there. I remember them it scared me so much as a child when they said, like in sermons, or you could be the reason that somebody goes to hell and burns yeah. forever. <gasps> so that's so much psychological pressure to put on a child. Like yeah. then like when, when I got out of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have told this person they could burn in hell forever because of me. It was
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was too much of a psychological burden to put on a child. And and what I have noticed too, regarding fear, there is a manipulation tactic. I've seen a lot in fundamentalist churches and it is called the fear and relief tactic. And it's where they put this huge burden on you. That's not necessarily biblical. And then they offer you the solution to take that burden off. And it's just an emotional thing. It's emotional manipulation. And recently an example at Bob Jones university, back in early January, there was a sermon where the entire time the preacher was just making everyone feel like they were worthless. He said, none of y'all will amount to anything. He's like, You're just a pink blob in the universe and all these things. <laughs> He's like, yeah. You're nothing. And then he put this weight of shame and feelings of worthlessness on everyone. And then at the end, he was like, Oh, yeah, just give your life to Jesus, blah, blah, blah. And it's wow, dang, like this is not spiritual. You yeah. just absolutely manipulated all of us. And that's a tactic that I have noticed as I've learned. And they also, they keep another point is generalization. They generalize anyone outside of the church because they want you to stay in the fold. They want your tithe. They want your attendance. And that's how they keep you in because the unknown is scary anyways. We're afraid to do the unknown as humans. That's natural to us. It's our survival instinct, and so adding onto that, they just paint these ugly pictures. Like for example, the LGBTQ community, they painted these ugly pictures of all of them, yeah. and even of other churches that were more progress or that were progressive and had like contemporary music. And it was this feeling of oh, like we're different, like we're the ones, we're the right ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this fear of the outside world really kept people dependent on the system. And I think an example of why abuse happens so much in these churches is because when someone in, this, in these churches, when they see abuse, they are so afraid to speak up about it. Because number one, their family is in their church. Number two, they're friends of their, their church. Number three, they're financially dependent on the church for some people. And if they lost the church, they would have nothing So why risk it by speaking up about abuse? Just sweep it under the rug. Don't like rattle the cage. Don't worry about it. And that's what I thought about, like for me personally, like afraid of speaking up about things is how much of a commotion it would cause and a backlash. And another point is for fundamentalist churches is anti-intellectualism is how they're Specifically, I remember my pastor slamming college education. He's, yeah, these students go to college and they do all these things and they know everything. And then, so he gave the impression that, oh, if you go to college, like your faith in Christ is like going to be lessened. And then I thought about that. I'm like, if your religion is true, shouldn't it like strengthen? Mm-hmm. And lessen, and stuff like that. But I think his point was that he thought all colleges, or specifically secular colleges, were trying to turn us against religion or something like that. And like, in these religions, they can, or in fundamentalism, they can teach us, especially the use scripture, your heart is deceitful. And so they convince people to not trust themselves. And when you learn, when you're also reducing critical thinking, so when you have reduced or no critical thinking, and you just can't think for yourself, emotional maturity does not happen. It just yeah. doesn't. If you can't, because you have to think to emotionally regulate. That's an issue. And if you don't question authority, like, pastors can get away with anything if you question them you question god himself like you Mm -hmm. can't do that so they put god like right beside them or make them equal with him and so authority has no accountability either and so yeah and also if people can't think for themselves they're not gonna really leave it's so easy to control people who can't think for themselves yeah Right, an, and it's comfortable to not think for yourself, it's comfortable to submit and not question. And some really don't want to think for themselves. And I think part of this is that every adult, we even though when we're we leave our parents' home, we have an inner child and we want that adult figure and we want someone to take care of us and look after right. us. Yeah, we crave that them. structure. And another thing is isolation, which I talked about earlier, is they isolate you. And I think yeah, I held earlier how abuse can easily be covered from that. And for me personally, like hateful messages were a big part of my trauma. The burden that I felt like they put of like guilt and shame, and they were very condescending and hateful to the LGBTQ community. And I think as a child, when you hear all these hateful things, you associate that with God because this authority figure is just angry. And I feel like that's what happened to me. And I, I see there are some people I know that they are so knowledgeable about the Bible, but they have no love <laughs> in their hearts whatsoever. And I feel like I just went over the gist of systemic issues in Christianity. And so now I know that you wanted to go more into the fashion design controversy at Bob Jones University. And for people who don't know my story, I ended up at Bob Jones University because my parents, they would only pay for a Christian university and they wanted me to go to Pensacola Christian college. So I didn't want to do that because they were much, they were more strict. So Bob Jones was like plan B. And for those of you who want to hear more of my experiences on there, you can go to my Instagram page, but I don't have time to get into that and I want to specifically talk about the fashion design issue yeah. um, so for a quick overview for people who just tell people what it's about a student at Bob Jones University had a senior fashion design exhibition and it got it, it stepped on some people's toes it got some backlash
0: yeah I'll share it so people can see it Oh um, dang. Okay. Gosh, gotcha. you're ready. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No, I uh, I, I pulled it up. Uh, I had pulled it up here right before we had hopped on. Cause I uh, I, I think okay. for a lot of people mm-hmm. to know, who, yeah. Who don't know what this is. There was a, yeah, there was a fashion show at Bob Jones university and this, uh, this outfit in particular stirred up a uh, little controversy,
2: <laughs> put it lightly. And the thing is there were people who had different opinions of it. They're like oh this is great and something like no this is terrible and oh yeah that's the one that really triggered people yeah. Ooh, so much <laughs> yeah and what happened was these people who aren't educated on art don't realize that art is open up to different interpretations art is not black and white and mm-hmm. because you see something one way doesn't mean that's the way it was intended at all And that's really hard for fundamentalists to understand because they have such a black and white mindset to them. They're like, what? Yeah. Like it's neutral. What? That's not possible. And so I'm going to go into the story of it, but in a Mm -hmm. sec, I want to talk about the issues that happened leading up to that point. So Bob Jones will discard and the in the trash any student who doesn't conform or any student, even if it's unintentional, seems to hurt the reputation So the student who did this. Dr. Pettit, the Bob Jones um, president of the university, he trashed basically the student in an online statement, which is on his Facebook account. And I think it's still there. And I took screenshots on it and I'm thinking about posting it on my Instagram soon, but he basically said that it was clearly blasphemous and that it was like, disrespectful. Yeah. I don't remember all the words and stuff, but it threw basically, it threw the student under the bus and his work without even trying to talk to him or understand his intentions with it. Yeah. And so what happened as a result of that is students and faculty got very angry and students started a petition for the school to handle this a better way because Pettit did not handle it in a good way at yeah. all. And I believe what happened was that a donor was offended, and they were threatening to withhold funds, and so Pettit reacted out of politics, because he didn't want to lose money, and so he's like, okay, I guess. And I'm not, I'm not saying this happened. This is just me speculating. I just want to make it, make that very clear, that I think that he got scared, and he was like, I'm just gonna appease the donors, just to so please them and keep this money. Mm -hmm. And, and I know now there's, there is a faculty member. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't think that matters, but they have threatened to resign unless the school impedent addresses this issue in the right way Mm -hmm. or basically apologizes. And so now I'm going to start at the beginning of how this all began. So going back to, I guess it was around October of 2021, I was in a commercial photography class because that was a part of my major. I was a visual arts major with a concentration in photography. And for the commercial photography class, we photographed the senior fashion design outfits for their show. So the pictures they can have and print them and all that stuff is a collaboration we had in the departments. And I was interning for the art department and I controlled the um, BJU photography page. Mm -hmm. And my teacher was like, you know what, Andrew, if you could just record what's going on in class and post it on the story, add them to your highlights, so prospective students can look and see what we're doing in the classroom. I was like, okay. And when it came to the fashion design project, that was what I did was the behind the scenes of the shooting. And the first day of shooting went well. And the second day, um, this, and I mean, this isn't specifically had to do with this senior, but I could tell these students were pushing the standard clothing standards, Mm -hmm. definitely, of the Bob Jones dress code, in which I personally, I thought they were all fantastic and great. But from the Bob Jones fundamentalist perspective, it wasn't to their standards. There were girls, like they were showing their shoulders, one girl had a midriff, and guys were wearing earrings and some Mm -hmm. makeup. And some of the clothing was gender neutral, it seemed too. So it was more progressive type clothing. Yeah, and I posted basically what was going on, and some of the guy poses were feminine too. And I still posted it because I was like, you know what? I'm like, number one, these students have been working on these outfits for many, like at least a couple of semesters. Yeah, and it's like this clearly had to be approved. And number two, there were two other faculty in the room, and mm-hmm. they didn't say anything. So once I saw them directing and not having a problem with it, I was like, okay, I guess this is fine. Then maybe, just maybe, Bob Jones is progressing. Yeah, (laughs) slight possibility. And so when I posted it, and within a few hours there was backlash and people DM'd me, and I ignored it because I'm like, I'm not taking that down. Like I hate censorship. Yeah, especially creativity. No one should be censored. And. What happened was over the weekend, I got a text from my teacher, Mrs. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say her name. I almost did. And I'm not going to. And so she was like, can you meet with me in my office? And I was like, huh? I was like, that was just weird because we don't have meetings like that. Like we usually at the end of each meeting, we plan it. And then I realized it was about that issue. And I ran to her office and she told me that a lot of other things had happened. That people from California had screenshotted the story and sent it to the provost of Bob Jones University, who knew him, so he's a big role there, mm. and having an issue with it. And so, in the beginning, there was I accidentally put this spotlight on the fashion design department and show, and people just started talking about it amongst. I think it's mainly amongst BJU alumni. Uh, Can yeah. you believe? Can you believe our school is doing this? Oh my gosh. Like, uh, you know, and what happened was my teacher made the chair of our department aware so that when this provost came to our department, they were like, we could say we're handling the situation. And my teacher, she told me, she's like, Andrew, she's like, I've been trying so hard to protect you. She's like, everyone has been throwing you under the bus and talking behind your back and trashing you because you posted this. But she's she's so Christian, by the way. But, but then she says, she's like, once we found out the whole situation, that there was no clothing check, there were faculty in the room, the responsibility was off of you. And we had to deal with these issues in the department. And so I was like, oh, okay. So it was great to not be in trouble because for me personally, and like my therapist too is concerned, you just seem to have drama <laughs> that follows you. And do you accidentally cause these scenario? I'm like, it's like, you do this unconsciously or something. I was like, I don't know. We'll talk about that another time. And, but at first I felt really terrible about it. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped feeling bad about it because I'm like, you know what? There are systemic issues that this is, exposing that needed to be dealt with anyways. Yep. And I thought that was going to be the worst of it, but it kept getting bigger and bigger. And so when the show finally came around and some politician, I'm not sure which Republican retweeted these posts, but this public Republican who had a lot of followers tweeted about Bob Jones University, and I think he was just accusing us of becoming progressive or liberal or something like it was such a bad thing. And it just got so many retweets and so much attention. And then, of course, the donor saw it. Yeah. And that's when Pettit decided to rashly just put this statement out. Yeah. And it just threw the student under the bus. And like I said earlier, these kinds of institutions, they will discard anyone to protect their reputation, even if it's the wrong thing to do. They don't care who you are. And so we saw that happening. And there was an uprising kind of, or argument among the student body. Cause a lot of people, the student body were on the art student side. And a lot of people are on the artist side of yeah. this show and how he was
0: treated. And if you read a statement, it, it's, it wasn't a very transgressive <laughs> act. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I would even understand to some level yeah. if, if the intent was like, I want to try to be this sacrilegious statement mm-hmm. because I always try to see both sides. Like I see a like, look at the college rep, but yes. So like I read the statement mm-hmm. from Matthew Fox, who was the designer and like yes. the statement on the design for Jesus said it's red to signify blood, Jesus, blood and diet he covered our sins completely and fully, like a wrap coat covers the body completely and yeah. fully. Mm-hmm. By now, I would hope we are all speaking the same language of allegory and not literally idolizing the model yeah. wearing the crown. He wouldn't <laughs> like that. This is the beauty yeah. of fashion that I wanted to illuminate my culture to. It's more than gender signifiers and sex barricades. Nice. Dignity mm-hmm. and sanctity are woven into our expression and communication through dress. God taking on our body, weaves st- divine dignity and sanctity into mm-hmm. our defiled bodies. The crown of thorns on the model was supposed to be a dose of reality to our view of the crucifixion. And I wanted to solidify mm-hmm. Jesus' death as a physical violent act of redemption and not just something we see in old paintings that get excited about at Easter. Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's pretty in line with <laughs> the, yeah. like, the theology of it
2: is knowledge.
0: Right. It's just and- expressed differently
2: it's expressed differently. And the issue is it's exposing these systemic issues more particularly into the conservative view of what women or men And like, when you have reactions to these things, what people don't realize is that says a lot more about you (laughs) than it does the actual artwork. And I I think if people really realize that they wouldn't like react, but it's an unconscious thing they don't realize. And so I think not for everyone, but what happened was these conservatives just seeing Jesus portrayed. And it's something that kind of is resembles a dress. And I think because of our culture or that culture, just seeing that bother them. But then we have the living gallery at Bob Jones and we depict Christ in these robes and stuff. So like they weren't wearing pants, yeah. you know, in Jesus's day, like, what do y'all think he was wearing? So it's a cultural thing that just they've been ingrained in this fundamentalist religion, like women wear dresses men wear mm-hmm. pants. And so seeing that change triggered that, I think in some people, and sadly, there are some people who see, oh, fashion is just a feminine thing. Men shouldn't care about that at all. So the fact that it was like fashion, it was like, I don't know, that that they were feminizing Jesus in a way. And some people might see a big issue with that, which clearly I didn't think that was the case at all. But people have their differences of opinion on clothing, I know. Mm -hmm. And so I think that kind of sparked that, And I think they, people can, especially fundamentalists, they can associate their personal convictions as absolute truth. They can blur the lines between those things. And so they're like, oh, this is my personal conviction. So this is, this is the Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm sure of it. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) so this is so disrespectful and blah, 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 and all this. And I just want to say, I think the reaction to Pettit's post is, Hilarious, all the comments. I'm not sure if you read the comments or saw Pettit's statement, but a lot of people no. were defending Matthew. And they were like, they're like, what is clearly blasphemous in this? Because he he said it was clearly blasphemous and he didn't say why in his post. Like he made a claim without any evidence or you know, anything to back up that claim. And so then people were like, What do you mean? What is clear? And Pettit didn't post any pictures of it, which of course I'm sure he wouldn't want to cause any more controversy, and that's why he didn't. But It showed the true colors, Mm -hmm. I think, of that environment. And there were issues in the very beginning process of the fashion design program. And even if those things would have been fixed, this still should have never happened. This student should have never been demonized like this and thrown under the bus. And I'm going to make sure I made notes of the story and everything because I just want to make sure that I got the gist of it. I didn't leave any details out. But I think basically, I just wanted to tell everything that I knew. Mm -hmm. And I know that Dr. Pettit has met with Matthew Fox and I've made it to I've had no idea what has gone on in his meetings or what they've talked about or any any conflict resolution that they're working on. Pettit hasn't come out and addressed the situation yet. So beyond that, I don't know. I reached out to Matthew Fox because I felt really bad. And I was like, I'm so sorry that I accidentally caused all of this. And what he said to me was like, he's you only, he's like, you own I can't remember what he said specifically, but it was basically like he was saying that there were a lot of other issues involved and that it wasn't like me. I just accidentally started off a chain of events. Yeah. But there were a lot of issues involved in the system. And it's funny how I realized when this happened, how they threw me under the bus and I got expelled from BJU because of the Josh Harris video. And so all they said to me was when I got kicked out was that, oh, because you said you were deconstructing Christianity or that you've left Christianity for now. And I went into my story about how I was so traumatized by religion that, you know, I get PTSD symptoms for going into a church. Like that's not normal. I get so much anxiety and I have so many mental health problems because of all the trauma experiences and religious settings. So I've talked about how basically I'm on a path of healing and I've left this for now. Yeah, And and I've talked to different people and I'm like, one day I hope to reconstruct Christianity, but it's going to be a healthy Christianity if I ever do. And. I'm going to have to be in therapy for years. And I think if there is a loving God, he will be patient and he will be fine with that. And he knows my heart and what I've been through and what I've had to deal with. So I trust that if there is a loving God, that everything will be okay when I get to that point. But I think what, this is what they did not say in the meeting. Number one, they never brought up my sexuality at all, which I was shocked about. Because I taught, because I kind of basically, that's when I first came out publicly in a sense, was in Josh Harris's video. And I put the perspective on it how the church traumatized me because of my sexuality, basically. And so I revealed that in the psychological abuse I endured. Mm-hmm. And so they never mentioned my sexuality. And they didn't really talk about anything else I said in the video and the fun the weird thing is bob jones they are allowed to discriminate against lgbtq students and they're allowed to discriminate against women because they have a title IX exemption Mm -hmm. so they very well could have said oh you said you were gay in this video so you're kicked out they could have done that yeah but they learned the hard way almost a probably a year ago they kicked out a student because she came out as a lesbian and they kicked her out and she sued the department of education (laughs) Mm. and it was all in the news. And she gained a big following online. Her name is Elizabeth Hunter. Mm. And she put this spotlight on the school and she was like, basically she sued the department of education because she was like, the government shouldn't be giving this school money if they're discriminating. Yeah. And so I think for them, they didn't want to say that to me because they didn't want me to speak out about it. Yeah. So they just, they acted like it never happened. Like they never mentioned it. They never talked about it. And like, they generally, they handled out the kick, kicking out in a kind way. They genuinely wanted to like not wound me anymore or hurt me more than I'd already been hurt. And, and I think also they didn't like the attention the video was getting. Cause I think yeah. a lot of people on campus were sharing it. And we're talking about it. And a lot of people were supporting me being like, there is spiritual abuse going on at Bob Jones University. And I recently did a poll on Instagram. I was like, what toxic things have happened to you at Bob Jones? And these are things that have happened like in the last few years. And I just want to quickly um, state some of these things. And it really, some of these things really shocked me and broke my heart. And I didn't realize some of these things still went on. But one of these things is normal. So someone said, being judged for differences of opinions in gray areas, Mm -hmm. which like I said, people can take their personal convictions and make it absolute truth in a way. And some person said, I think that this is funny. They said 95% of the students and staff are judgmental, hypocritical, and snobby. I wouldn't say 95%, but there is this preppy type kind of atmosphere to Mm. the school. And someone said the fact that they judge the the validity of one's salvation. So they try to figure out with their own criteria if you're saved or not. If you Mm. have like an issue, they're like, oh, let's see if you're really saved. And this one person said the fact they do not prepare students for the real world, they just teach them, teach us how to survive. And they micromanage us even when we're not at school. I know one person almost got in trouble for going to a dance over a break, like a swing dancing. So stuff like this, even outside of school, they try to control things we do. And let's see here. They teach that any physical connection or physical touch is sexual. Yeah, guys and girls aren't supposed to hug or hold hands at all on campus. One person wrote, like, they don't recognize eating disorders as issues. I know there have been a lot of bad experiences with girls with eating disorders there. One, one person said, this girl, she said, they looked me in the face and told me I should be ashamed of my body just as Eve was. Hmm. Um, and then even just as the, this is common in all of, I feel like the fundamentalism is the fact that women are held accountable for men's actions regarding sex. Like women are supposed to like completely cover their bodies and if a woman is sexually like assaulted, like, oh, like what were you wearing? And I feel like that's in our culture too. It's penetrated into that. Oh, what was she wearing? And it's no, the guy should have never done that anyways. That's no excuse yeah. to hurt someone. And one person wrote, girls have many more dress code rules than boys. And the thing that really bothers me about Bob Jones is that they promote tattling. And they make, the, these students who tattle, they make them their favorites. Basically, because they want these students to go out and tattle on as many people as possible because the staff they can't get out amongst the students and investigate. But if they can get these students to do it, they're happy to do that. And it's just yeah. really so you don't know who you can trust at Bob Jones sometimes. You're like, is this person just looking for yeah. someone into trouble? And, you know, and Bob Jones, like, here's another example. They've had issues with sexual abuse in the past, like victims being blamed for it. Like I just mm-hmm. mentioned, I talked about we had an issue with a counselor. Where he told a bunch of women it was like basically their fault. And there was a lot of backlash to that. And one person broke the fact that they teach that mental illness is a sin and medication is unnecessary in a sin. And that made me angry because in these environments, it's like they never acknowledge that trauma is a thing or they don't consider genetics or biology or chemical imbalances. Yeah. Like these people just don't consider everything. And Let's see. Okay, then someone says someone said this. A teacher said that all mental illness was due to not trusting God enough. And she said the teacher said, including disorders like schizophrenia and disassociative identity disorder. And she's and she's this is crazy. Like it was a counseling teacher who said this. And was you don't like if you have schizophrenia, like <laughs> that's it's not your fault. And someone responded to the tattling thing. And it's funny, and I love this because they brought the Bible into this. And they said, the Bible says that we should go to our brother first. However, they encourage telling on people, the rule book states if you don't report someone for breaking your rule, you will be treated as if you broke the rule yourself. Mm. And they don't encourage you to talk to your brother. They encourage you to have formed university. So that, I love that because she put a little biblical twist for defending why that's wrong. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. And they only accept you if you act a certain way to their standards of a Christian. So I didn't meet their standards of what they thought Bob Jones Christian should be. So they kicked me out. And one girl, which this really broke my heart. She said, women are held accountable for husbands slash father's abuse she mm-hmm. said I went to she was said I went to one of the counseling professors about my dad's abuse. And I was told I should have been a better daughter and not caused him to do those things, effectively pushing the whole the madness ahead of the household. And if he did it, you must have deserved it narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. there are a few. Okay. First I want to say there are a lot of wonderful teachers and faculty sure. at Bob Jones. But they have a few bad apples that they should not have at that university. And one, and I think the professor did this, which he, he might not have, but I know there is an issue with a professor there named Dr. Mazak or something. He's a biblical counselor professor. Mm-hmm. And he's had a lot of, I've heard a lot of awful things about he said like spiritually abusive things and the women's Dean at Bob Jones being lost in. And she, I've never heard one good thing about this Woman, and I had a friend who got in trouble, and she told me she's like Andrew. She's like, I went to this woman, and she didn't get in trouble for anything sexual at all. And this woman just accused her of doing all these sexual things, basically mm-hmm. accusing her of being a slut and a whore. And she's like, Andrew, she's like, I didn't, that that wasn't what I got in trouble for. And she just started accusing me of all these things. And I think it's just one of those instances where she's been in power for so long, and no one wants to like let her go. And I'm sure students have, I know parents have called the school about Dean Lawson and how hateful she's been to girls. Yeah. And she shouldn't be that way. She seems like a very legalistic person, just looking for people to get into trouble to make herself feel like she's so high and mighty. And also, here's an example like for the fashion design like controversy, they really restrict creativity in the fine arts and arts. Yeah. Let's see. But I think, yeah, those are the gist of them. And like these are things that happened in the last few years. And spiritual abuse and emotional abuse is going on at Bob Jones and is going on in these independent fundamental Baptist churches, but no one is talking about it because it's so normalized
1: yeah.
2: and people are afraid to speak up about it. Yeah. And we're so scared of authority. We're taught to submit to authority. And I don't regret going on josh's show and getting mm-hmm. kicked out because this has opened so many doors for me and so many bob Jones students have reached out to me to, to thank you so much for speaking up and talking about this because we're all so afraid to and i've had people tell me awful stories about how they were spiritually abused and even yeah. sexually abused by spiritual leaders and how they leverage that role to abuse them and it's we can't and I i saw this at my church and it's where we had this like addictions program. And if someone got saved or whatever, cause the Bible talks about you're a new creature. It was like, they were a new person. You got saved. We'll put you in this leadership role with no, no background checks. No, and it was just, that's just really scary when you put that much trust in an adult and someone, even just who will be around kids, you just don't background check. And like, I realized, you know, my church, 80%, 90 plus percent of the people are like, 70 and over. And I really, they grew up in a different time where they didn't have to worry as much yeah. about, but it's, we live in a different day and age now. And like, I recently talked to someone about this and they were like, Andrew, they're like a lot of sexual abuse happened then, but it was just covered up. Yeah. Like it's always, it's always been this way. They just covered it up. Yeah. And the other institutions are like, I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, so right now they're like, the truth is really is people are starting to find out. And, In these environments, it's just really poor leadership and poor management. And when you have people submitting to this one person and in these churches, women, like they're not allowed, they're supposed to be quiet. Like they're not, they're barely even allowed to speak. So how can they about things that are going on? And again, like I was saying, if you do speak up, you can be shunned and lose everything. It's just a whole, a lot of toxic elements and dynamics that makes these places such a perfect place for abusers to be held accountable and to thrive in and to hurt people.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I I think that's why these conversations are important. And I think, again, I I think it reveals a lot, like you mentioned the response, like response reveals a lot. And I think the fact that there is this resistance against these conversations, like the conversation with Josh Harris or the conversations that are being had on shows like this. It reveals a lot. I I think, especially when we get in conversations about truth, you know, and I'm in my own journey figuring that out for myself. Yeah. I think it is it's a scary thing when I see people recoil from that discussion or when they say that's a dangerous place to be. Because truth, I don't think truth has anywhere to hide. I think you should be able to have those conversations openly. Yeah. I think you should be able to have those discussions openly. And I think to have these pre-drawn lines or restrictions on what you can talk about or can study Mm. really, really doesn't make sense, especially within a college where you're supposed to be learning how to learn. But yeah, man, I really do. I appreciate you sharing. Mm -hmm. And I know this is all very recent and new and fresh. And you're probably in a lot of ways scrambling to figure out uh, what's next and what does the path look like forward. Mm -hmm. But I do Mm -hmm. appreciate you being so open and for sharing. It it means a lot to me. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, thank you so much um, for getting back to me and having me on the show. And I know I feel like this is Josh gave me the platform I've needed, and I've been asked to be on a lot of different podcasts, and I've reached out to many people because I'm trying to get the word out. And I'm so thankful for the work that you are doing, specifically with Independent Fundamental Baptist, is because we a lot of us, like you said, we you know the truth can't hide, and a lot of us it makes us so uncomfortable. The truth can't avoid really going on. It's, we don't want to talk about these children being emotionally, psychologically, and sexually abused within the church, because yeah. if the church isn't safe, then where is it safe? Where are we safe at? And I think there's that fear. We want to keep this illusion that the church is a safe place. And we just want to let go, I guess. of like, oh, I'm safe here. But because of this mindset, we don't hold people accountable. And it's a place that thrives with abuse. And before, like we're done, I know I want to say quickly like how we were talking about how this is a difficult issue and to talk about religious trauma and abuse in the church in general, and specifically with like religious trauma and what I think is a controversial issue specifically, I know to like religious individuals, but, but more particularly fundamentalist because they believe that their religion is like the spiritual cure for mankind, like a cure for cancer for the soul per se. And the fact that people are being abused and that religious trauma exists in these environments it causes them discomfort or cognitive dissonance, cognitive dissonance because it's contradictory to what they personally believe mm-hmm. about Christianity as it like, oh, it's all good. Nothing bad can happen. This right. is the answer. And so when this happens, this can cause people to blame people who are abused. Like it's your fault because they don't want to deal with the issues that are going on in the church. They don't want to examine leaders. They don't want to examine themselves. So they blame the victims. Oh, it's your fault. This place is amazing. Like th- you did this. So that's a major issue is that churches, they're not examining the issues and they're just ignoring them and they're building because they don't want to examine themselves in these systems of oppression.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a, it's a lot easier to throw someone under the bus than address the issues (laughs) within your own level. A a lot easier. Andrew, for those that want to connect with you and. Uh, really Mm -hmm. keep up with you? Where's the best place for them to do that? How can they connect with you? Uh, Or are you off the grid?
2: (laughs) I am not off the grid. Let me tell you, my Instagram is Andrew Pledger, but the A is a four and for my username. So um, on my Instagram page, I post a lot of different videos, quotes of my own, and even memes and just education on religious trauma, um, psychology and things like that. And I'm even, I've been writing a book since I was 19. So I post information about how my progress is on my book. And I recently, I just, I've decided the the title of my book is going to be Suffering in Silence, a story of surviving and healing religious trauma. Because Mm -hmm. religious trauma, I believe there are a lot of abuse that is people suffer in silence, but religious trauma is specifically a silent suffering because so many people are afraid to come forward. So I thought that was a powerful title. And I don't know when I'm going to publish it, but I'm taking my time with it. And as I grow in therapy and personally in my own life, um, I'm hoping by the time I'm at least 30, I want to publish it, but it's, it's my little baby. So I'm trying to be really careful with it. You know what I mean? If people want to follow that journey with me there too, but yeah, my Instagram page, that's mainly where everything that I do goes on.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. And for everybody listening, uh, be sure to click the link in the bio and connect with Andrew, follow his uh, journey and keep up with what he's doing. But for now, I will close out the episode and I'll uh, see everybody over on the Preacher Boys uh, discussion group and, and all over social. See you guys.
1: Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes, and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.